Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Khalil.com. Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and I'm Doug Maurice. Get to you again a little bit later in the day, but that's okay. It's Christmas week. We're adjusting. We're going to have the big Thursday pod still coming your way. This is the Wednesday pod, and we're digging in on the opponent. We are going to have Matt Connolly from the state newspaper in South Carolina. He is the official visiting beat writer for the entire Ohio State beat. I'm sure you may have heard him on nine other podcasts, but we got him too. So Matt and I talked for about 35 minutes. We just went through the entire Clemson roster, position group by position group, who they are, where are they better than last year, where are they not quite as good as last year, how's Trevor Lawrence playing, how do they use Travis Etienne, what's the defensive line like, just everything. It is a great primer for anybody who's not an expert on Clemson football. So that's what's coming in the back half of this podcast. But off the top, Nathan, Stephen, and I are going to give like our impressions of what we think of Clemson. I just rewatched the Notre Dame Clemson game from the ACC championship. Stephen, have you been watching some Clemson games during the course of the year for your Bama Clemson watch, right? Yeah, I've been keeping up all year and have a pretty good sense of what this team is from an outsider looking in. And Nathan, what did you do? I also watched uh, some of that ACC championship game. I've seen him here and there during the season, um, but, but not as much. So we'll become more educated as we get closer to the game, but we'll give you our thoughts. But first, two pieces of news we're going to deal with here on Buckeye Talk. One is Mookie Cooper is in the transfer portal. First reported by 247 Sports. Uh, I reached out to Mookie's mom, who I spoke to previously for a story. Wonderful woman. Uh, have not heard back from her. So we'll see. We'll let you know if we hear anything specifically from Mookie's family. But Stephen, what do you think of the idea of Mookie Cooper, who did not play his senior year of high school in St. Louis, has not played his freshman year of football here at Ohio State, putting his name in the transfer portal? I'm not going to say I'm not shocked it happened. I, I am shocked of when it happened. I, I thought that, especially with the way that room's recruiting right now, uh, there's a list of the guys that Brian Hartland has brought in. He's already the lowest rated of that of that group, not just within the, the, the four guys in his class, but also when you include the 2021 and Caleb Burton in 2022. But I did think given his circumstances, I thought maybe he would go through a spring when now he's been in the program for a year and really on the same footing as everybody not named Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba because they've actually gotten some real in-game snaps that he'd have an opportunity to show himself and, and – 
prove himself in that slot role, especially with Garrett probably playing all over the place. Um, I thought this would at least go through the spring before we started seeing any of those top 100 guys, even before Brian Hartline took over as wide receiver head wide receiver coach maybe hit the transfer portal just like we would have seen with Jalen Gill had he had an entire spring we didn't see him hit the transfer portal until after that yeah I don't really think necessarily that the rating would have had anything to do with this or or his relative um uh, recruiting whatever compared to the other guys I think it's more just the fact that he's a slot period we talked about this a few weeks ago on the pod that we didn't like necessarily speculate that he might be transferring but I remember saying that I wasn't sure that what Mookie Cooper is fits with the vision that Brian Hartline has for that room. And I, I wonder if he saw that plus in addition to just all the other talent that's coming in and the fact that he's got two guys ahead of him possibly at that spot just for next year. Then why did Brian Hartline recruit him? Like I'm not disagreeing, but some yeah. of this is like, Hey, in the urban Meyer offense, they had guys like Jalen Gill and Demario McCall and Dontre Wilson. And it was a different kind of slot receiver that urban Meyer used. And maybe in the crossover, it, the, the, the requirements of that position kind of changed, but this is the right. I mean, Brian Hartline recruited mm-hmm. Mookie Cooper to the Ryan day offense. So then why did he recruit him, Nathan? Uh, that's a good question, but I also think that you recruit sometimes guys not knowing exactly who you're going to get for these future classes, and now that you've just struck gold again and again and again and again with 2021, 2022, it just starts to get crowded, and I think – I'm not saying that they wouldn't let him stay. I don't know that he was pushed out. I think you know if he wanted to stay here and try to develop, that's fine, but I mean you guys would also agree, though, that when they talk about what – when Brian Hartline talks about his receiving core, he talks about wanting receivers – not necessarily slot receivers and X receivers and Z receivers. He wants receivers. He wants guys who are interchangeable a little bit. And I don't know that, that Mookie really fit that vision. So Steve, I think this- two, two things I want to ask you specifically about Steven. One is if you're going to recruit all these top 100 receivers, you're not going to keep them all. I mean, like, of mm-hmm. course somebody's going to transfer out of this room. We've talked about that. It's like, how do you think this works? You don't wind up with 11 guys who are all top 100 recruits in the same room. They don't all stay. So it's just, Normal. Of course, this is happening. And then the other thing is, yes, Garrett Wilson, but also Stephen, do you think Mookie Cooper thought that in his own class, Jackson Smith and the Jigba was going to wind up in the slot that maybe Mookie Cooper kind of thought to himself, well, I'll be this guy and those guys will be out there. And now it's like, oh, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, who caught 195 passes per game in Texas is playing the same position as me. And he's in my class. I think let's just use the 2018 rotation as an example for this. And maybe I think that's what he thought this was going to be before he found out Garrett Wilson was moving in the slot where you've got four guys, you've got G Scott and you've got Julian Fleming as your outside receivers. And then on the inside, you've got him and Jack Smith and Jigba rotating that spot. Just like in 2018, it was the Paris Campbell KJ Hill show. And that's what he saw in 2018. And that's what he pretty much committed to because he committed the summer after that before we saw what we saw in 2019. So I think that's what his idea and understanding of, of it all was going to be. And then obviously Garrett Wilson moving into the slot kind of hurt that. But to the point of uh, the guys transferred, I think this is the con of, being so far ahead of everybody else on the recruiting trail, Brian Hartline's in 2022 while the rest of the world is trying to figure, finish, finish out their 2021 class. And real soon he's going to start moving into 2023. And a part of that is guys are seeing what's coming after them and seeing how they fit into the, the future plan, because all those guys would have been Mookie Cooper's teammates, Kayla Burton, uh, whoever joins Ness, whether it's Kion Graves or it's Armani Winfield, he's seeing all that and seeing, okay, those are going to actually be my teammates. I don't know if I fit in here. And I don't know. I mean, like they just got a Mecca 
at the end yeah. of this class and it's like okay it's mm -hmm. like you're you're the guy it's like okay well okay i have six top 100 guys ahead of me and it's like oh they got that caleb burton guy seven oh they got a mecca eight i get it i get it now mm -hmm. the other thing is maybe he's homesick maybe he just wants to go play closer to st louis maybe i mean that maybe it's none of this maybe he thought to himself my gosh this is the best receiver room in the country i desperately want to be part of this but something else is happening that's going to cause me to transfer we don't know we're speculating here but if i were brett bielema i would call mookie cooper yesterday illinois oh, yeah. is a little closer oh, to yeah. st louis oh, i mean yeah. like i don't you know, or Missouri or whatever. I mean, this guy is still a top 100 national recruit who's just had a weird little thing where he has not played any on-field football games for two years. And that's a tough road to hoe. Best of luck to Mookie Cooper. But a lot of this makes sense just from what all we're talking about. But I, wanna, I wanted to get into one final thing, which is a thing that you kind of brought up at the top, Nathan. Somebody on Twitter brought this to my attention. It's a guy named Ben Fennell who does some NFL breakdown stuff who I really like, who I think I had on my takes by the Lake podcast. We follow each other on Twitter. I'm pretty sure I've had him on. He's a good X's and O's guys. He crosses over NFL and college. I, I want to get him on now because he did, he was watching some plays between 2018 Ohio state and 2019 Ohio state. And then talking about how there are not as many little quick hitter, throws in the offense right now compared with Dwayne Haskins when they were hitting all those mesh routes, quick little slants over the middle. That's what they did with KJ Hill and Paris Campbell when the two slot guys who split time were the two leading receivers on the team. That's all Dwayne did. Dwayne Haskins was bing, bang, boom, get it out of Dwayne's hands. They're running more RPO because Dwayne couldn't run. So if you want to run zone read, you don't run zone read with handoff to the tailback quarterback run. You run handoff to the tailback quarterback throw. So a lot of that quick hitter stuff out of his hands worked. And now they're not doing that as much. And, and it was sort of couched as like, it's bad that they're not doing that. I would argue that why is it bad? I would think that Ryan day, if he's not doing as much bing, bang, boom, quick stuff, it's because he thinks they're at the next iteration of that, that he doesn't want it out of Justin's hands that quick. He wants to let his receivers work downfield. He has more belief in downfield dynamic playmaking with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson than he did with KJ Hill and Paris Campbell. And Justin is a run threat. You don't have to do the RPO. And by the way, when you only look at the pass game, their run game was a mess with the tailbacks in 2018. Part of it because it was RPO. So I think maybe Ryan Day now is marrying more of a downfield passing game with the quarterback that he has a little more faith in. And Justin certainly is more well-rounded as a quarterback than Dwayne. And so it's like, yes, it's true, but is it good or bad? But in that conversation, some, the person on Twitter who brought it to my attention brought up the fact that all their receivers are the same right now. And he brought up the fact before he used to have a guy like Ben Victor and a guy like Paris Campbell, who were very, very different receivers which I agree with, but I said, who would you rather have? I'd rather have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson than Ben Victor and, and Paris Campbell. So I also, over time, as we all know, have pushed and longed for the little slack guy. I want the Rondale Moore of Ohio State. Mookie Cooper, we talked about, was the best candidate for that at the moment. They don't have a candidate to be a Rondale Moore. If, now, the other thing is transfer portal doesn't mean you're gone, not 100%. So we don't want to put the cart before the horse. But Nathan, long-term, bottom line, if they wind up with a receiver room where everybody's kind of the same, that to your point, they can all play everywhere, but they're all kind of the same dude. You don't necessarily have a big guy like Ben Victor who goes up against it. You know, you don't go from six, five to five, nine and how tall your receivers are. They're all six, two. 
They're between six one and six two and a half. That's everybody, and they're kind of similar. Is that all good? That that means they're versatile, or is there any downside to that? If your super uber talented receiver room has a lot of similar dudes, I see what you're saying that you could end up in a situation where you have the same strengths but also the same limitations. And I guess uh, I, I, I see that argument to some extent. I guess that the, their argument would just be, and I, I said this before, I was kind of attributing just to Brian Hartland, but I think you're right. I think Ryan Day is also part of the driving force of this philosophy that I, I think that they would say that the positives of it may outweigh that, that you, if you can go get a guy who can jump like, uh, you know, is vertical the way that Garrett Wilson and even Chris Olave can be sometimes that that's better than a six, five guy, because you can't, that six, five guy can't do the other things that those two guys can do. Yeah. And Steven, from a basketball standpoint, since you also cover basketball for us, I thought this happened to the Ohio state basketball team for a time where they, Mm -hmm. all they had was wings kind of at the end of the Thad Mata era. It's like, Mm -hmm. all they had was six, six, three and D guys. And it's like, they didn't have a great point guard. They didn't have a post guy. And it's like, I understand you want talented three and D wing guys, but you got to have a little, it'd be nice to have a guy like a three point shooter who's just great at shooting. Maybe he's bad at defense, but you cover him up on defense. He's got a different different skill set. I don't mind a point guard who just facilitates and maybe can't score. I don't mind a big guy who can do some things. And I thought they got in the effort to be versatile. It's interesting. I think in the effort to be versatile, you can become homogenous because you have all versatile guys. And is all versatile guys actually, is that versatility or not? Or is versatility actually... We have seven guys and they're four different skill sets. Or do you have seven guys who all have a multifaceted skill set? So I think that's an example. It's not a perfect example, but do you believe you can lean too far toward having versatile guys that all wind up the same? I think the middle class is getting too big and there's not necessarily an equal amount of guys in each part of that. Now, whether, is there going to be a Rondell Moore type of guy here? Probably not. Demario McCall hasn't worked. Jalen Gill didn't work. And Mookie Cooper obviously didn't work. But I am very interested to see what Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jaden Ballard end up measuring out as. Because I think – and then G. Scott as well. I think those are your bigger Ben Victor-like receivers. Jaden Ballard is just as good of a basketball player as he is a football player. And from what Kyle McCord said, so is Marvin Harrison Jr. So I am interested with those three alone, what they end up measuring out as, because that answers that question. I do think if that's the the ideal here is, you know, you want as many six foot one to six foot two guys as possible. If you sprinkle in a G, if one, if one of the receivers, if the X receiver or the Z receiver, whatever one is where you're going to put Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard and G Scott Jr. at, and then the, the Z and the, and the, and the, H back the slot, whatever they go. The slot and the Z are just interchangeable between Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, Julian Fleming, Caleb Burton, and on Emeka Buka and all down the list. I don't I don't think that's as big of a problem as it is if every single spot is six one and six foot guys, but also what's their catch range? As Brian Hartline has said before, I think you asked him a question about small guys, and he said, I'm more worried about their catch range than their actual size. And so if you have a versatility of catch range, it they can all be six one six two as long as some guys can play like they're six five. And it's one of those things. It's like, you know, podcast people. I get caught up in stuff. It's like Garrett Wilson is six feet tall. Would I be happier if Garrett, if Garrett Wilson was five nine and a half? Would that make me happier? <laughs> oh well, he's a little slack guy. I don't like Garrett Wilson because he's not little enough. That's yeah, my right. take. 
Hey, Brian Hartline, how come you, why, why don't you recruit a Garrett Wilson who's two and a half inches shorter? Because everybody looks the same. I mean, that's I mean, what, that's they, what they have now. Like, at what yeah. point at the, what point this year have you looked at Ohio State football and said, you know what they're really missing is like a 5'9 slot guy? That would really same, put this passing attack yeah. over the top. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, man, Garrett Wilson's really good at six foot. Imagine if he was six four, which is as to kind of transition in the, in the Clemson here. That's what Clemson has on the outside a bunch of basketball players and pads. And on the inside, it's Amari, Amari Rogers. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's like, uh, Ryan, do you feel like you've just got to get away from anybody who's six feet tall that from now on, you've got to be either six, four or over or five times, five, 10 and under to be an Ohio state receiver. And they'd be like, okay, well, we just wiped out like 97 of the top 100 receivers in the country (laughs) because everybody who plays receiver is either six foot or six one. So what are you talking about? So I understand it's a ridiculous discussion. Good luck to Mookie Cooper, whatever happens. He's in a little bit of a tough spot. And, and again, I mean, I'm not trying to be, listen, I hope maybe he'll stay, maybe he'll go, whatever happens. I hope it's great for him. Maybe this year at Ohio state working with Mick, you know, being around these guys, being around Brian Hartline and Julian Fleming and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, maybe Jackson Smith and Jimmy, maybe it's the best thing that ever happened to him. And he's going to take all this. And if he goes somewhere else, he'll be great there in part because of his one year at Ohio state. But it goes back to the thing I said. It's like you're Mookie Cooper. If you would have gone to Illinois last year, they would have had a parade for you. I mean, you would have been the number one option on that offense this year. You come to Ohio State and you get lost. So sometimes it's not the best place for you. You know, it's just hard. Can, it's hard. That can that can still happen. I mean, you got a new coach coming in there. I think, you know, Brett Bielema would make a big splash if he could bring in a transfer like this. I mean, Illinois doesn't draw recruits like this right now. Um, I, I was talking to my brother who's, you know, we grew up in central Illinois. He's still a big Illinois fan. And I was asking him, so like, what does a recruiting class look like this year? And he's like, well, we've got like our number one recruit was ranked like, you know, 400th or something. And I was like, man, I, I miss those days where he got to get excited about a guy ranked in like the 100, three, 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 four hundreds. Um, but also I think as far as the timing of this, um, I don't think it's that much of a distraction, obviously for Ohio State because no. he wasn't playing. And no. then I think he has to go now because I don't know if anybody's looked, but like there's like a thousand people in the transfer portal right now yeah. so if you're gonna think you're gonna go i would go now and and try to get your your spot locked up early at arizona state said he's holding spots for the transfer portal this year so he took a smaller recruiting class for that purpose because he knew it was going to be a large transfer portal pool pete thamel at yahoo who's such a good college football reporter has been writing about that 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 kids are going to get jammed up because they're going to go in the portal and there's not going to be any room for them because there's going to be so many guys in the portal so best of luck to mookie cooper however it works out All right, let's talk about somebody who is leaving not of their own choice, and that's Don Brown, the Michigan defensive coordinator, who got fired. And uh, just as we were podcasting the other day, as we were podcasting, and just to look at what some of the Michigan writers have been writing, I saw someone with the headline, you know, that firing Don Brown like clears the way for the Jim Harbaugh contract extension, because now it's clear like Don Brown's the fall guy. It's like, well, what's wrong? Why you do? Why would you extend Jim Harbaugh? It's like, oh, it's that guy's fault. We fire that guy. Harbaugh's good. But part of me is like, what are they like? Why are they? It, it, it feels to me like they're tr- they're over going overboard trying to save a head coach here. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to fire this guy. And they had done the, you know, they got Josh Gaddis a couple years ago and that was going to fix it. And Shea Patterson and the transfer portal, that was going to fix it. And it's like, at some point when you change everything else and, the only thing that's the same is the head coach and you're still not where you want to be. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Steven, just like, what were you, 
were you surprised? And does it feel like Don Brown's a fall guy? Or was this like, no, that needed to be done. Take this one last measure and try this. And then if this one doesn't work, then maybe Harbaugh's next. I think you're putting band-aids on a, you know, a building that's leaking water and you keep trying to cover up the holes and cover up the holes instead of just calling it and day and realizing that you're not going to save this wall. Uh, I, I understand that Don Brown's given up some points. So really one, t- Michigan's defense has actually been pretty solid against everybody who is in Ohio state outside of this year where they're dealing with the pandemic. And so that's a great, that's an excuse you can, you can use, but since Don Brown has been there, really Ryan day is the only guy who has his number. So I, I don't think, yeah, I think he's just the fall guy of, oh, if we can just stop, get some stops in that rivalry or get some stops here or there, then we'll be a better team when uh, there's a bigger issue at hand that you need to take care of and stop just trying to plug up holes here and there to try to save someone else's job. So now that we've reflected on it, Nathan, does it make more sense to you of like, okay, you make this move because you're trying to see with Harbaugh, you're giving Harbaugh more room, or does it feel more like, well, if you're going to do this, you should have just fired the head coach? Well, see, I, I know people hate these analogies, but I saw this happen at Purdue in 2016 or, or going into 2016. Daryl Hazel, was, after his third year, had pretty much fizzled. I mean, like it wasn't going to work. Everybody knew it. But because they didn't have the infrastructure set up to replace the AD who couldn't hire the next football coach because he'd hired two bad ones in a row or two failed ones in a row, then they couldn't fire the head coach. So they fired both coordinators. And it, it's, it was an obvious scapegoat ploy at the time. This one is a little bit different, though, because like you say, they're, they're, they're firing this guy, which might make him a scapegoat. But then they also it, it might be to retain the head coach. And like and now you're committing to him potentially for a it's not just I don't think we're kicking the can down the road one year at Michigan. Right. Like it's either you're you're making a change now or you're committing to him for another probably three or four years at least. It'll be longer than that in terms of contract, but just in terms of real um, real years that you'd have to put into it, you, you got to stick with him for like another at least three years. Um, but now I also kind of feel like you've gotten this late in the coaching carousel window that I, I mean, who, who I don't know. I, I guess it, Michigan's a big enough deal that if they wanted, whoever they wanted, they could probably go get to some extent. But it, it, everything's, every sign points to keeping him. And I, I, I guess along those lines, Hopefully it was his decision and not a decision that was like foisted on him. Cause I don't think that works either. If it's Harbaugh's decision that he wanted this guy fired, I think that's different than if he was told you can stay, but you have to fire your coordinators. Yeah. And of course all that makes sense. And we've also seen situations where you fire a coordinator, they give Harbaugh an extension and then they put JJ McCarthy in as a freshman starting quarterback next year, just the way, you know, Graham Merch wasn't a freshman at Wisconsin. He was a second-year guy, but you put him in, you think, okay, this guy's maybe going to give us some juice, and it turns out he's not quite ready. And like a year from now, Michigan's 3-9, and nine, and they're firing Jim Harbaugh the year after they gave him a four-year extension, and they're eating money, and it's like, what were you doing? And they were like, yeah, that was dumb. Like that's on the board, too, of like they do it now, and 12 months later they realize this was insane. It was Harbaugh all along. The buyout is the thing to keep an eye on. Whenever they do finally sign Harbaugh, how does that structure change from what he's been working under right now? Because that's where that's where all of your um, what do I want to say your uh, leverage Risk? is. Yeah, oh, all right. your leverage yeah. is as as the coach and, and and your protection. Yeah, your insurance. So that that's kind of the, the number that I'm keeping an eye on more than the year by year thing is how much do they have to pay to get out of it after a year, two years, whatever. So in terms of, and this will transition, I wanted to use this as a transition to our Clemson breakdown. 
So again, I said before, Godfather offered a Pat Fitzgerald. I had Teddy Greenstein on, who knows more about Pat Fitzgerald than anybody on the podcast before the Northwestern game. And he set me straight and said he could have had the Michigan job however many years ago. Pat Fitzgerald probably is never leaving unless it's to coach the Bears. So I probably need to get off my Pat, my Pat Fitzgerald thing, which I think you had mentioned before too, that Nathan raised his hand. Nathan's like, no, well, I was holding get- up like fingers crossed as a Bears fan. Like they might need a coaching change. <laughs> do you think Do you think Matt Nagy's out after this year? I honestly have not followed them that close. I think they might still technically be in playoff contention. Um, no, this is a weird year. So uh, I, I, I bet, I bet not. I bet they're going to stick with him at least one more year. So, I mean, Fitzgerald, I think would be great. I mean, I think, I think he is great, but if he's not going to be the Michigan coach, we all know Matt Campbell, the other name that I want to throw out and I have this scenario for it is if Clemson beats Ohio state again, what does Michigan need more than anything? It's a guy who can beat Ohio State. You know who's never lost to Ohio State so far? Brent Venables. And Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, has been waiting, 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 waiting. He could have had the Auburn job, I think, because the Auburn people hired the Boise State coach. I'm not sure exactly what other job he could have had over his career, but there are many. I think he could have had Virginia Tech if he wanted it. He's clearly waiting. So it's like, what's he waiting for? He was at Oklahoma before he came to Clemson. So it's like, if, he, if he's waiting out Lincoln Riley, if he's waiting in case Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL at some point and then Oklahoma hires Brent Venables, that's possible. What else would he be waiting out? Is he waiting out LSU? Let's say Coach O, by the way, who's firing coordinators left and right. Hey, Coach O. Oh, we got to make a coordinator change. Bo Pelini didn't work out. We're going to pay him an $18 million buyout. Also, fired offensive coordinator. I'm Coach O. I'm just here for the talking. What does, does he that do? that not hurt your voice every time you do that? It's limited. I could not do I could not do an animated sitcom where I do Coach O for a half an hour. I think you should do uh, the entire you should do the entire live pods just switching between your various voices. People were asking for it in the comments last time. People were asking for it in the chat. Like, let's see some Coach O. Let's see some uh, Barrett Stenson or whatever his name was. I don't know what his name is anymore. Stetson Barnett. Stetson Barnett, right? So, yes, Stetson Barnett. Stetson Barnett will be Rutgers quarterback before this is all said and done. I do think Bo Pelini should go be Bo, uh, Brett Bielema's uh, defensive coordinator, though. So it's like you got to – or Don Brown. It's like which recycled defensive coordinator from, from the – originally from the Midwest will uh, Brett Bielema hire at Illinois. So he might wait out Coach O because Coach O is on his last legs because Coach O is going to go national championship, bad year, bad year fired. Or is he waiting out Texas? You think, okay, well, they kept Tom Herman maybe. I, I think it feels like Brett Venables is waiting for a top 10 job. I think is USC going to hire Brent Venables if they move on from Clay Helton, but like what top 10 jobs going to come open Florida state? What if, I mean, they Florida state just hired Mike Norvell last year. They're not, I mean, they're not going to change. What would come open? What would make Brent Venables leave? Is Michigan a top 10 job? I think Michigan is better than Auburn. So I don't know that Brent Venables so far has turned down a job that would be as good as the Michigan job that I think, I don't know exactly every job he's turned down, but I think that might be true. Is he waiting out Georgia? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kirby smart. I don't think it's good. What's he waiting out? So if you, if, if Clemson beats Ohio state and I know he's got a kid on the team, I think there's some personal stuff, but it feels like he's got to be getting to the point where he's going to be ready to, to go in the next couple of years. That what, what do you think of theoretically, whether it's this year, next year, what about that kind of hire? And, and would it matter to you, Nathan, if you were Michigan, that this guy's had success against Ohio state. It, it would, I think it would at least matter for five minutes of the news conference, but would it matter for any more than that? 
Yeah, I think it would a little bit. I think because it's going to give you also some credibility recruiting in the Midwest, which I think will be important uh, for Michigan. Um, I mean, I think both both Michigan and Penn State, I would imagine he would go very high on their list if they end up making changes. And those are both programs that that's been kind of rumored as, as being not like imminent, obviously more imminent in Michigan, maybe, but just something to keep an eye on in a few years. And I don't know. I mean, if I were either one of those ADs, he would be very high on my list. Steven, what do you think of Brett Venables in the Big Ten one day? I could see it, but I'm also wondering, would Michigan go offense or defense? Because you can probably throw Tony Elliott into that same conversation. And he's, I mean, had these same rumors with Auburn and all these other schools floating around him for the last four or five years here. So, I mean, with a team who's going to have a five-star quarterback regardless, unless he enters the transfer portal as soon as Jim Harbaugh was to get fired, if that were to happen, I mean, would you go, would you want Venables, who's a defensive guy, Quality defensive guy, obviously, your defense would be okay. Do you want if the problem is you can't keep up scoring with your rival, would you go with one of the best offensive coordinators in the in the country and go with Tony Elliott as well? So I throw both of those guys as potential Big Ten head coaches if they decide to leave and if the, if they view Michigan or Penn State as top ten jobs. Elliott and Jeff Scott were co-coordinators in title there for a little bit. Jeff yep. Scott left to be the South Florida coach. Elliott's waiting for a much better job than that. That's the whole, he's not, I mean, I, you know, Elliot yeah. is the brains behind that offense. And one thing, and I think we saw it last year and you see it again. Now, when you watch Clemson, they are incredibly well, well coached on both sides of the ball. I mean, they are remarkably well coached on both sides of the ball. And I don't even know. I know Dabo played receiver. I don't, I think Dabo is to me is more like a CEO there that he really, Elliot and Venables are the brains of the operation on those two sides. And either of them are going to be picky about where they go. But I think either of them would be impactful hires and would be the kind of guy that would deserve to jump from a coordinator spot to a big time job right away. So, you know, you can't, if you're Michigan, you can't just hire from the team that beat Ohio state, but on a list on a pro and con list, that'd be one of the pros that at least would be up there, you know, like, you know, it would matter a little bit. So I don't know. I'd be done with Harbaugh. If they probably aren't. We'll see what happens. Let's talk Clemson. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with what Nathan, what Steven, and what I think about the Clemson Tigers and how they match up with the Buckeyes just from our outsider perspective before we then get to Matt Connolly with the insider perspective of this Clemson roster next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug. Nathan, Steven, I wrote down kind of like five things that are the five things that stood out to me, not players, not position groups, but kind of like the things that I think are really going to matter. So we could use those to go through things. I could throw it open to you guys of like, just give me your overview of when you watch Clemson. What did you think of how Ohio State would deal with them? How do you guys want to do this? Well, we start with your structure. And then if there's anything we don't cover, uh, we'll we'll slip it in after that. Yeah. Okay, let's start on the offensive side of the ball then. And this is the thing that was a surprise, I think, at least to me, I think to a lot of people, the way the game unfolded last year, and it's not a surprise anymore. Trevor Lawrence running, I think, is an issue for this Ohio State defense. He doesn't do it all the time, but he is a good runner, and they run enough zone read that it is a factor. They run enough of a little bit QB draw and he is enough of a scrambler. Nathan, like that is fairly high on my list of it burned Ohio state last year. And I'm not so sure it's not going to burn Ohio state again. 
Yeah, no, it, it made my list of things that, that jumped out when I was watching some clips today. And, you know, he, he isn't as uh, graceful as Justin Fields, I wouldn't say. Like, he doesn't have – he looks more like a – as opposed to like a gazelle, he looks more like a giraffe and maybe one of the legs isn't uh, the same length as the other. Th- but uh, it, it's effective. I mean, he's, he, he's productive as a runner. He, I thought he does a good job. It's not it, – it, sometimes it's tough yards. Sometimes it's fighting through some crowds and following blockers well and getting yards. Um, he, he's just smart with it. And, and he's more athletic than he gets credit for. And I think that it caught Ohio State by surprise. It's not going to catch him by surprise this year. So it's something they'll prepare for. But it means it's, it, there's a give and take somewhere else in that defense as to what you're preparing for this week. And there's something in the design too, Stephen, because sometimes they'll just – they'll run a zone read and all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's at the safety already. Like it will just pop. They put the Notre Dame game away on a run that it was just like, okay, Trevor Lawrence is running, and, oh, he went 45 yards in one second. And it just pops, Steven. He's physical. I, I think you, he's a very physical runner. He's not afraid to get hit by a linebacker and maybe chuck him sometimes. Um, this offense has maybe a first-round pick at running back, and Trevor Lawrence is still their best run threat, in my opinion, especially with the way this offense flows. I am a, I am a lot more scared of Trevor Lawrence keeping the ball than him handing it off to Travis ATN. And that's because they, use, they do some other stuff with ATN that we'll probably get into as well. But when he keeps it, he's a bigger threat than if he gives it. And because I think Ohio State can slow down Ohio Clemson's running game. It's if Trevor Lawrence keeps it and he makes Pete Warner miss, then what? You guys remember the play just at Michigan State where Justin Fields ran downfield and, and caught up to Trey Sermon and, and blocked the guy. Yeah. I wonder if Clemson was sort of answering that with that play against Notre Dame in the ACC championship game where they were running kind of that, I, like just a sweep kind of thing, but then he hands it off to Etienne late and then he goes out and leads lead blocks for him. Yeah. I think that, that's, that's the runner that Trevor Lawrence is. That was a great design on that play. It was a little <laughs> really strange, nice, but you did. It was like it was designed. It's like, okay, there might be a guy there and the quarterback is going to seal him off. Let, let's get to ETN next, Stephen, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear this from Matt Connolly. Their, their offensive line is not, is not necessarily great. Last year, it was such a, a veteran offensive line with four seniors and Jackson Carmen as the young guy. This year, it's four new starters and Jackson Carmen as the veteran. They can't really run up the middle. And it's almost like I feel like the strength of Ohio State's defense, at least in the run game for sure, is like, I don't know that you can run on Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, and Tough Borland. I don't think Clemson's even going to try because they haven't tried this year that much. They kind of know it. So it's all about ETN in space, either wide runs or in the, in the throw game where he's run for 700 and he has 500 receiving yards. So to me, ETN in space against Baron Browning and Pete Warner out on the edge, swing passes, wide runs, Pete Warner and Baron Browning are going to have to get off blocks and tackle in space. I feel like, Togi Garrett and Borland might like be taken out of the game because I just don't think that's where Clemson's going to work. They're going to work on the edges. And so if Pete Warner is a half step slow to the spot as Travis ATN is catching a swing pass or running wide, and it's a difference between do you miss an arm tackle or do you make the tackle? That's the difference between a five yard gain and a 30 yard gain. And that guy, that he is the most versatile player in the country, Stephen. I, I don't think it's the run game per se. It's in space. And yes, Ohio State's linebackers are good, but man, they're going to have to prove it in this game. I also, I went back and watched that Fiesta Bowl too, not for nostalgic purposes, because I wanted to see some things since their two best offensive weapons are still on the team. 
And I, I get why Chase Young wasn't a factor in that game. And it, it, it plays into why I'm, I'm saying this this year as well. They don't have a Chase Young this year, but they do have guys who can get pressure even if they don't get home. I think they're going to have to be a little bit more disciplined with some of that pressure and understand that if you beat an offensive lineman, you can't just go headfirst into Trevor Lawrence thinking you're going to get a sack or even get a, a QB hurry because you might do that and then they just pop one behind you and give it to Travis Etienne. That's how they scored two other touchdowns. In the touchdown that put them up 29 to 23, that's how they scored it. They, all, the entire defensive line got pressure and they just popped in Travis Etienne behind him and he got a run off of that. And so I do think it, it's going to come down to Pete Warner's ability. It's how good of a will linebacker is he? We're going to really see it in this game, but also – Baron Browning doesn't have to worry about tight ends catching the ball in this game, so he'll probably be has to help out with Travis Etienne as well. But also, can this defensive line, who has been able to get pressure, even if it hasn't done anything and led to sacks, can they have a little bit of discipline and maybe set the edge a little bit more and not be full speed ahead to go try to sack Trevor Lawrence every time? Travis Etienne, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame was still kind of in that game. Notre Dame moved the ball a little bit in the first half of that game. And then on a fourth and one run with 30 seconds left in the first half of the ACC championship game, Travis Etienne ran wide and ran 45 yards for a touchdown, and it was over. And that, Nathan, when I watched that play, I watched that and thought, well, that could happen to Ohio State. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and think of going back to the Big Ten championship game, how many early in that game, Ohio State was having some trouble with tackling with uh, arm tackling and and, and, and flopping or, you know, just not being in position on some guys, uh, maybe over pursuing a little bit. But those sort of things are going to really kill them against a team like Clemson. The name, the, the, the thing that popped in my head when I watched that touchdown run you're talking about was J.K. Dobbins. And it was just, again, another reminder of what this Ohio state team doesn't have that Clemson does have, like they, they don't have what Travis Etienne can do. And there's so many other positions too, where you can say, um, is Ohio state going to be prepared to match up with whatever Alabama's receivers, blah, blah, blah. And you can say, well, but Ohio state has its own good receivers that when they go good versus good, the DBs get to see that Ohio state doesn't get anybody that can put on the field right now that replicates what Travis Etienne can do. They just don't. And I think that that's going to be a little bit of an eye opener early in this game. Adjustments are going to be important. And they're just not even going to try to like hand off and run up the middle and have like mm-hmm. run into Tommy Togia. I just, I just don't no, think they're even going to try it. I don't think they will. I will say though, I was a little bit impressed with, with some of it. Travis Etienne, I think sometimes gets a reputation as like almost just a finesse guy in some ways because they use him so much in the past game and he can, he can grind it too. I mean, he's, he's got some, he's got some toughness to him as well. I think but I think possible. you're right. I don't think they're not going to run right into the heart of Togia and Garrett. I think Ohio State has an edge probably in their matchup of their defensive line against Clemson's offensive line, but I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure yeah, in the way that Clemson attacks, it's going to matter. That like, oh, well, they can't block Tommy Togiai. Okay, well, we don't need to block Tommy Togiai because Travis Etienne's out there mm-hmm. or Travis Lawrence is out there. Or this other guy. Their best receiver, given everything that happened, and Matt Connolly will go through it, is clearly Amari Rodgers, and Mario Rodgers lives in the slot. And I don't know how they're going to cover Amari Rodgers in the slot because there were times – I don't know what Notre Dame was doing trying to cover Amari Rodgers in the slot because sometimes it looked like they weren't covering him at all. He's their best receiver, and if they just wind up in a world where they're trying to cover Clemson's best receiver with Marcus Williamson most of the game or some kind of soft zone where he's – you know sitting in between Josh Proctor and Baron Browning and catching a 13 yard slant. I feel like they have to have a plan for this. I know that we're going to say, Hey, move Sean way to the slot. I just don't know why. I mean, they haven't done that the whole time, but I don't know. Like they, they don't have the T Higgins outside guy. The guys they have there are younger. They're not as dominating. 
But Rodgers is the guy that you can tell Trevor Lawrence believes in, and he plays at the position where Ohio State is most vulnerable at cornerback, and we've talked about it all year. Steven, like what? And if the answer is put Sean Wade in the slot, we can say it. I don't know if they're going to listen to us or not, but I, I just don't think that'll be it. But that matchup worries me on behalf of Ohio State. Yeah, I think they haven't moved Sean Wade because it probably hasn't been worth it because there's always been at least – and against Indiana and even Penn State, there was an outside guy. Um, I, I think I, I think that's on the table. I, I, and I'm pretty sure Kerry Combs will get asked about that a bunch of times when we get to talk to him next week, and Sean Wade will get asked about that a bunch of times. But I do think a more important thing to think about if they don't is <clears throat> whether Marcus Hooker is, is healthy enough to play in that game or not, I think – Lathan Ransom, I think, showed some things in, in that Big Ten championship game to where he could be another single high safety if you needed to move Josh Proctor back to that bullet role for that sole purpose of, you know, playing a soft zone to maybe contain Amari Rogers a little bit. I, I think the, the, the good the thing that's come out of the the good thing that's come out of them not being whole the last two games is that you have found some things in that secondary, even if they have been a soft amount, whether it's it's Ronnie Hickman or Lathan Ransom, maybe showed you some things there where you, you don't have to be hell-bent on putting Josh Proctor in this role and putting Marcus Hooker in this role and being stuck with it. Nathan, how, what, what was your view on Amari Rodgers watching that game? I mean, yeah, same as you. I, I think it's going to be a really difficult matchup for Marcus Williamson, but I also don't know – I mean, if if you start, I think I would be very surprised if they started the game with Sean Wade in the slot. I think it would be something that maybe you do after Clemson forces you to do it. But I, I think if doing it from the start of the game only exposes you more on the outside. I know that that you'd probably, I guess, rather take that matchup. But I mean, you're either taking, you know, putting Tyreek Johnson or um, or a true freshman probably up against a a a you know a, a proven. Um, you know, kind of top-notch receiver, and I don't think you like that matchup either. So I, it, this is just one of those sort of damned-if-you-do uh, situations. Um, I think Marcus Williamson is going to have to play his best game. Like, that, a lot of these answers are going to come down to that. There's only so much you can really, you can really like, f- fumble around with the lineup that much. It, it, this this game is going to be decided by guys playing their best games. Amari Rodgers. Think- it's Amari Rice has 69 catches, and the next closest guy to him is Cornell Powell. You don't, I think Seven Banks is just going to be on Cornell Powell. And after that, it, I mean, Brandon Galloway has 25, and it's like it's a big drop off, obviously. It's kind of similar to how Ohio State's is. You don't think in that world, if you put Sean Wade on Amari Rogers and just kind of let that be what it is, and Seven Banks is on Cornell Powell, and then the, very, the next most Threatful, the biggest threat you have on the receiving game is Travis Etienne, which we already talked about. That's up to Pete Warren and Baron Browning to slow down. I think I'm not gonna say they'll be fine, but that seems like a reasonable matchup to have, especially when that whoever that third wide receiver is their equivalent of what Jamison Williams is this year. I mean, they don't follow guys though. We talk about this a lot. They don't have guys yeah, no. follow guys. I mean, they don't, it's not like Seven Banks is gonna be on Powell the whole game. I mean, he'll be right. on yeah. he's on his side. So I just, I just, it would be quite a move. Is the, to decide to put Sean Wade in the slot that you can do. It would be, I just, we, I just don't think they would do it. It's not like the outside guys are terrible, but the idea of could Proctor be an answer a little more often there than just like, then Williamson on first and second down and Proctor on third down or something like that. Like, could you get Proctor some more slot snaps because you either trust Marcus Hooker or Lathan ransom deep are they going to run some more too high safety stuff like they did? They didn't do it hardly at all last year. And then they did it some 
with Proctor back there with Jordan Fuller a year ago. And it didn't, I mean, it didn't really work, but you're trying to help out a little bit. I, I don't know what the answer is, but they, but the other thing is Amari Rogers is good. He also is not as scary as Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, and T Higgins. I still, Mike Williams was so good. It made me question Denzel Ward. I carried my Mike Williams scars into the draft. And I was like, why are the Browns taking Denzel Ward at number four? Mike Williams is six inches taller than him and Denzel Ward couldn't stop him. And it's like, okay, well, that's not normal. And Mike Williams, by the way, was a top 10 pick also. So they don't have that guy. If, and like Amari Rogers is like a nut. Amari Rogers is like KJ Hill, honestly. Yeah. Like he's a yeah. really good receiver. He's not Michael Thomas. He's not Devin Smith. So if that's who Clemson's best receiver is, that's a better spot for Ohio State's defense than they've been any other time they've played Clemson. When Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins lit them on fire and danced around them. That was as good of a receiver game as I've ever seen in person in the 2013 Orange Bowl. Mike Williams, devastating. T. Higgins, really good player. So they don't have that. So I don't want to overdo Amari Rogers, but also Ohio State has problems at slot corner. So we'll have to see what they do. The last thing on offense, and I kind of forgot it previously, is I absolutely can imagine, Stephen, you mentioned that Chase Young's, his impact last year, that was a great debate, not great and good, but like enormous debate on Twitter and in the NFL draft world and in film world building up to the draft last year of like, did Chase Young have a good game against Clemson or not? And Chase Young loves to retweet Chase Young tweets. And if I, I lost count of the times that Chase Young was retweeting people who said, if you think Chase Young didn't have a good game against Clemson, you're crazy. Look at all these times that he got pressure and was double teamed and didn't get a sack, but he did his job and got pressure. And Chase Young was like, retweet, 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 which is fine. But he didn't get home a lot, but he didn't get home a lot. And that was Chase Young. I am envisioning a Michael Penick situation redux times 10 of, yeah, they got a little pressure on Trevor Lawrence, but he did not care at all. And they never really sacked him and they never really affect him. And maybe at the end of the game, somebody has like seven pressures and it's like, yeah, well, you had seven pressures and on those seven pressures, Trevor Lawrence was six of seven for 138 yards and two touchdowns. So congratulations on your pressure. It had zero effect on the game. Nathan, like that, I thought Notre Dame got that a little bit on Trevor Lawrence of like, oh, look, there's some guys in his face. He's tall. He's good. He doesn't care. And he makes a, he makes a great throw. And then what's the added wrinkle that Trevor Lawrence has that Michael Penix doesn't or doesn't choose to use? And that's his legs. Like Penix does not run that much, but but Lawrence, it can be, we've already seen it firsthand against Ohio State. That can be a legitimate threat. So that's like a, a the, the double problem there. If you're just flushing him, it's going to maybe have a more um, perilous result for the defense. What, what otherwise would have been good could turn out to be bad more than it would have against Penix. And not to, and again, I don't think the Clemson offensive line is great, but we just have not seen the Ohio State pass rushers, Stephen, really get home all that much. And I get it, I get it, I get it. But at some point, if you're going to change the game against a team like Clemson, you're going to have to sack a guy on second and seven and make it third and 14 and force a punt. You're not going to change the game just by getting near Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and we thought it was crazy last year when they said that they were going to just block Chase Young one-on-one with Jackson Carmen. We thought it was crazy because why would you do that? But then we saw why they were not afraid to do that. 
Um, I think it's that. I think we might see a couple more, maybe, you know, secondary blitzes, my linebacker blitzes, which is, I think I mentioned this to Nathan before when we were just walking away from a game, but I, Josh Proctor can lay some wood on some guys. Um, and I could see a world where they send him on a blitz and we get deja vu <laughs> because he laid a hit on Trevor Lawrence that, I mean, we've seen him lay some wood, whether it was this year in the Big Ten Championship last year, where it's a good enough hit and it's on Trevor Lawrence and it's the right hit and maybe he gets, knock on wood, tossed out of a game because of it. I'm not going to put that. I'm just saying he likes to – so maybe they send him on a blitz. Maybe they send Baron Browning. Maybe this is the game where we see Baron Browning as a rusher and some – they have to come with some different scheme stuff. They can't just rely on, oh, we've got some good guys who can get pressure on the defensive line because that's not going to work. Indiana is a perfect example, and I think that they're going to look at a lot of that game film when they're preparing for, for Clemson because a lot of what Indiana was able to do and a lot of their personnel isn't as talented as what Clemson's is, but it's the same idea of how they use them. And what's the strength of Ohio State's pass rush or what they hope it to be, especially with those defensive ends, is rotating them, keeping them fresh, et cetera. Well, Tyler Friday hasn't played in a couple of games. It looked like he was down on the sideline, but we don't know what his injury situation is going into this game. John, uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste wasn't able to play, um, was on the unavailable list. So that that rotation may not be there for them to use as effectively as they'd like to. Carmonte Hamilton got a sack. Or, what, or no, what's, what's Hamilton? No, uh, Stop. Pa, no, uh, Potter got, had a tackle. I think Carmonte Hamilton had a, had a TFL. A TFL. Somebody, it was like, I mean, there were like guys playing in the Northwestern game at like yeah. actual snaps. Yeah. It was like, that guy's playing? Right. So, you know, just they're young. It doesn't mean they're bad. Just they hadn't played and they're young. And all of a sudden they were in there in the Big Ten championship game when Ohio State was losing. So, all right, let's flip it to the other side. Those were my four things for Clemson's offense against um, Ohio State's defense. I only have two things for Ohio State's offense against Clemson's defense. One is it felt like, and they were talking about it on the broadcast, Kirk Herbstreet was talking about it on the broadcast of the ACC championship game. Clemson was rushing Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book in a way where they were rushing him to contain him. Mm -hmm. And they were not going crazy to get after him. They were kind of staying in their lanes. They were keeping uh, contained, did not let him get outside the pocket. And the result was Ian Book started holding the ball. And early in that game, when Notre Dame moved the ball, Ian Book was getting the ball out of his hands, bing, bang, boom. And then they started to rush, but not let him escape. And he didn't know what to do. And he started taking sacks and their offense started stagnating. And if Clemson is going to rush Justin Fields in a way where they're not even all that worried about sacking him, but they want to put him under pressure, make him uncomfortable. Make If you're going to make a throw, make a tough throw under pressure, but you're not escaping. I envision a world where Justin Fields all of a sudden starts holding the ball in a way where he's trying to make a big play and he's not going to make it because there's nowhere to go because they are rushing with the intent to contain him. I thought it worked against Ian book, Nathan. And again, watching it, I thought to myself that could work against Ohio state. Yeah. I, I watched the same thing you did. And I saw, you know, some visions of Indiana were kind of coming to mind. It's not that they blitz exactly the same way, but again, we we've seen Justin Fields a couple of times when people bring that pressure um, does not respond to it well, I think, mentally as much as physically. So I think that's something that he's got to figure out between now and, and kickoff of that game is that when, when he sees that stuff, um, does he recognize it? And then how does he respond? He didn't respond well against Indiana, um, didn't respond well at times against Northwestern either. Do you think that, the, the, Stephen, the idea to me of like rushing Justin Fields with the intent of not letting him escape makes a lot of sense to me. 
Do you think, is that a good defensive game plan, Steven? Or do they risk, okay, we're going to keep him pinned in here, but then you're not going to get to him. And then, okay, he'll stand in there and make a throw. What do you think of that strategy? Yeah, I like the strategy. You have to, he's, you can't let him hit, hurt you with both. And you can say the same thing about Ohio State's defense with Trevor Lawrence. Hurt you with, the, you're not going to take away both, but you got to take away one. You either you're going to hurt you, hurt us with your legs, or you're going to hurt us with your arm, but you can't do both because that's when they become a problem. For, for Ohio State, I think they're going to have to, that's, some of that is going to be on, some of it is on Justin Fields to make quicker decisions. Some of that is also going to be on play calling. Everything can't be a d- downfield shot. Maybe this is where you start seeing a lot of those crossers. Maybe this is when they start moving the pocket and getting some play action stuff some, to get them away from some of that pressure. Just some stuff to just, because this is a really good defensive line for Clemson. So you got to do some things to manipulate that a little bit. So it's going to be a combination of Justin Fields not getting too keyed in on his, on his first read the way he has been all season, but also Ryan Day putting him in some positions where he's got to get rid of the ball quickly because it's going to be a lot of stuff where you can get it to Garrett Wilson and get it to Chris Olave quick, and Chris Olave just needs to hold on to the ball and stop fumbling. I don't think this is the game for Justin to hold it. Yeah. As much as I am pro holding the ball, a lot of times for Justin, I don't think this is it. The other thing, I think Justin Fields and Ryan Day have to win the Sugar Bowl now. I think Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. on December 23rd, I think they are in the process of winning the Sugar Bowl now. I think they are winning the Sugar Bowl before they get to New Orleans because I think Justin Fields and Ryan Day have to beat Brent Venables pre-snap. And I think they have to figure out where blitzes are coming from, when they're coming, what they're doing when they're coming, get the ball out of his hands, make them pay for coming after him. We saw Indiana in the second half get after Justin Fields with some blitzes. We saw Northwestern get after Justin Fields with some blitzes and wait until you see what Brent Venables has for you. They don't, I don't know that they're going to get against this offensive line. I don't know that they're going to get a ton of great four man pressure, but you saw them sack Ian book a couple times, bring in two blitzers on third down. And if Justin Fields gets into the play and he doesn't know where he's going and he thinks he's going to solve it during the play, I think he already lost. I think he has to solve it pre-snap and get rid of the ball against the blitzes that are going to come. Because I do not think four-man pressure is going to beat Ohio State in this game. Not with this offensive line and not with this quarterback. But uh, Brent Venables, I, don't, I mean, he's great. He's great. He's the best, he's the best coordinator in college football. And they, they've, what they've done, Clemson's formula is they've gotten a great quarterback. They've designed, they have a guy in Tony Elliott who's designed a great scheme for that quarterback, whether it's Deshaun Watson or whether it's Trevor Lawrence. And then you have, you don't have to have first rounders on defense when you have a Brent Venable scheme. And I'm just, it's going to be, this is the greatest test yet, even greater than last year, because now Justin Fields is going to know what he thinks he thinks Brent Venables might do. And Ryan Day, right now they're on the third chess move. Well, we already played you. It's the a lot of the same guys. So last time you did this, we did this. So you did this. So now we think you'll do this. Ryan Day have to win that right now, Nathan. And it's tough, man. Just a lot of respect, both sides of the ball for the Clemson coaching staff. Yeah, I know. That was something that kind of jumped out at me too, is just how crisp this team plays. Um, something that I don't know if I, you don't recognize it as much sometimes when you're like, watching a team live um but when you're watching them on even in a, like a cut-up situation and there's just it, there's no it's just the flow that they have I, I was impressed too I think you're right I think the coaching on both sides of the ball contributes to that and I you know it's just Fields has some things to answer in this game and I think a lot of it comes down to just handling the handling what a tough defense gives him 
Um, he's it, it's fair to ask the question just because of the way things have, have played out this year. And I think it, it's not so much that what Venables himself would do um, had he never faced Ohio State, but now or seen Ohio State before. But now that you've got film of what like Indiana did to rattle. Justin Fields. I think you're going to put your own stamp on that. You're not going to replicate it exactly, but you're going to look within your own system and find how can you attack that quarterback um, along in that same kind of uh, theory, but with with the the, the the scheme that you use and, and the principles that you already have. I think there's something to you know, playing aggressive, but not necessarily everything needs to be a big play. I think what, in watching last year's game as well, Ohio State got into a rhythm because they just kept the pressure on Brent Venables the whole time. And really Ryan day was out coaching Brent Venables for most of that first half yep. because he was keeping the pressure on. He was calling, it was a, a rhythm of different plays, whether it was JK Dobbins zone reads, or it was pass, quick, short pass plays or a, a quick deep shot to D- Garrett Wilson, or even the QB sneak when Clemson's not even set yet and not allowing them to get substitutions on and off the field. It was a rhythm of different plays. And I feel like this year we haven't seen that from Ryan day yet where he's gotten into a rhythm play calling where it's a, versatile of different play calls that he's calling. It's just been, it's just been deep shot after deep shot to Gary Wilson and Chris Olave, which is a great plan against big 10 teams. And I think it gets a great defensive coordinator. We're going to need to see that again, where maybe we're a, a quarter into this and we're going, man, Ryan day is really working Brent Venables again. So I didn't see a lot of like individual Clemson defensive talent that like I thought Ohio state can't handle. And really I just across the board, Clemson is excellent. But really, to me, in the end, it's Lawrence and ETN paired with Tony Elliott. It's those three on offense, a quarterback and a versatile running back and a great scheme. And then on defense, it's Venables. It's Venables deploying guys. And those are the four guys to me. It's like, what scares you? If you're an Ohio State fan, what scares you from Clemson? Those are the four. Is there anybody else, Steven? Again, you've watched it a lot. You mentioned their defensive line. Are there any other players or particular position group matchups that really struck you as you've been watching them? Yeah, Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy going up against Ohio State's offensive line, specifically Harry Miller. Um, Brzee's the inside guy. He's a defensive tackle. Miles Murphy's on the outside. I think Nicholas Petit-Ferrer and Thera Munford will be fine against him. I think they'll both have their sets of wins, whether they lead the sacks or not. That's what it is. But Harry Miller and Brian Brzee, that's two five-star guys. Harry Miller, the number two center in the 2019 class. Brian Brzee, the number one player, the number one defensive tackle in the 2020 class. That's where I think it gets interesting because as Harry Miller hasn't been great as a first-year starter, second-year player, and he has, hasn't been great against okay interior defensive linemen now that it's like talent equated kind of in a way as far as the star ratings are concerned. I want to know if that holds up. I want to know if we go back to a situation where we saw against Rutgers where Josh Myers is overcompensating to help out the sophomore to the left of him because he thinks Wyatt Davis can handle the other guy and we see pressure up the middle because of that. Or do we see more of what we've seen the last against on Saturday where everything was humming and outside of a holding penalty, you didn't really notice that Harry Miller wasn't playing well. He actually played pretty well outside of that holding penalty. So which which Harry Miller shows up now that he's playing somebody that's equally as talented as he is. Do we get early season Harry Miller or do we get Big Ten championship game Harry Miller? Because I think Wyatt Davis will be fine. Nathan, was there any other thing in, these, in this matchup that really jumped out to you when you were watching? It, there's a couple of things, and they both do pertain also to Clemson's defense. Um, I think that, as we've talked so many times, there aren't a lot of teams that can defensively 
handle Ohio State on the edge very well, but I think Clemson can. And I think, again, it's, it is schematic and discipline a lot of times more than it is necessarily like individual defensive talent. I don't know if they have an Isaiah Simmons over there this year, but it, it pertains to especially what Ohio State might be able to do in the running game. Um, there were, let's see, five ACC teams that ranked in the top 25 nationally in yards per carry. And then you drop all the way down to Georgia Tech, the next highest one. They didn't play some of those teams, but if you take out the first Notre Dame game, there were three other games against Virginia Tech, which is 10th nationally, Notre Dame the second time, 22nd nationally, and then Georgia Tech 49th nationally. But those three games, they average, they give the defense gives up 2.5 yards a carry. And uh, those teams are converting on third down less than 25% of the time. So I think that's a problem. Ohio State can't as much as none of those teams have an Ohio State passing game, but Ohio State, I don't think can afford to be one dimensional. I think they're gonna have to find a way to still run the ball against this defense. And then also um, something else that, that I saw Notre Dame was getting some good production from the tight ends early and multiple tight ends early in the passing game. And Ohio State has really gotten away from using the tight ends in the passing game at all. They, they have a, an important role in this team, but it's not something that they're doing right now with the passing game. And I think that's partially against Michigan state. They had to keep those guys in to help pass protect because they were, you know, so inexperienced there. And then even for the big Ten championship game, I thought that they needed to use those guys, especially once they converted over to, to, to going full into the run, but then also, that offensive line was still coming back together for the first time in a few weeks. And I think that was, so now does Ryan day uh, feel more comfortable going back to those tight ends in a more creative way in the passing game, or do they still keep those guys in almost exclusively as blocking guys and, and try to find that production somewhere else. But Notre Dame was using it. They had multiple tight ends that they were able to get gains with early in that game. I think my conclusion in the end is Clemson's a little better than Ohio state. I'm more confident that Trevor Lawrence is going to play well than I am that Justin Fields is going to play well. I'm more confident in Travis Etienne than I am in Ohio State's run game, but I'm more confident overall in Ohio State's pass game if everybody's healthy and Chris Olave can play. I think in the end, if I think if I think Clemson's a little bit better, if Justin Fields plays great, then I think it's probably like a toss-up. But if Justin Fields doesn't play great, I don't I don't think it's a chance. So, and we're just at a spot right now where there's a little bit of doubt about if Justin Fields is going to play great or not. And we outlined some of the reasons that he might not. That's not all about him. It's about def- defensively what Clemson might do to him. So that's where I am. I'm not making a pick. Clemson is not like so talented from one through 22 that you're like, well, it's over. You know, like that's not, that's not what they are. They have a great quarterback and a great running back and two great coordinators and a great culture of winning. Um, and Ohio State, has a lot of that same stuff and they're just, their quarterback hasn't played as well lately. So Steven overall, where are you on like vibe of right now, you know, whatever we are eight days out from the game, nine days out from the game, where are you? I think the game might end up looking similar to last year's. It might be more, you know, 42 to 35 or whatnot, but the idea that it's going to come down to the last six minutes of the game doesn't wouldn't shock me just because one one of these offenses are more potent than they were last year, but also because I think a lot of the key matchups are where the talent is equal. Ohio State has one of the best offensive lines in the country. Well, Clemson has one of the best defensive lines in the country. They both have elite level quarterbacks. Uh, Clemson has one really good wide receiver. Okay, Ohio State has one really good cornerback. Uh, whether they whether they follow whether he follows them or not, Ohio State has these really good wide receivers. But, you know, Clemson has a defensive coordinator who schemes up things that might make it hard to get those guys the ball. So it seems like there's an answer for everybody's strengths 
while it's almost like can the weaknesses play better than they've played all season, but also which strength is going to be better than the other guys. So I'm less worried about Clemson making this a blowout. I think than maybe the rest of the country might feel right now. Nathan, where are you overall vibe? Yeah. I mean, we, we came into the season saying that Ohio state's chances of competing for a national championship were directly tied to their quarterback. Um, and I, that's that's true of a lot of teams, uh, but I think it's more true of Ohio State than it is of Clemson in some ways, um, not just because they have uh, who they have behind them. I'm just starting to watching that team on film. I see something that may be more complete at this stage after the 11 games that they've played compared to the six games that Ohio State has played. So I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, Justin Fields has to um, bounce back in a big way, because if if he plays the way he did uh, against Northwestern, Ohio State can't win this game. It's funny. It feels like a little bit to be the what we were talking what the Trevor Lawrence line was last year about like Trevor Lawrence didn't play that well early last mm-hmm. season. And it was like, what's up? What's happening? It's like, I'm still good. Just stuff happens. And that's kind of where Justin is now. It's just it happened to Justin in the second part of this season. It happened to both of them in their second year as a starter. And it's like, guess what? You know, when you start starting a lot of games, you're not great every single game. So it's not that Justin can't do it. I mean, it's, it's not that he isn't capable. He's absolutely capable of going bonkers in this game, but it kind of, I think he kind of needs to. All right. Now you're going to get every part, all the names, all the key guys, every position group from a Clemson beat writer, Matt Connolly. That's coming up next. That'll wrap up the podcast. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Again, we've gotten a lot of people who have jumped on. We appreciate all the old tech subscribers. We welcome all the new tech subscribers. It's a great time to try it. It's a 14 day free trial and you just get a little, you get a little info, like a little analysis while it matters the most. So try it. You just text something to that number and you get something back to sign up. It's really easy. Again, it's 614-350-3315. We'll be back to break down the Clemson roster next on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined by Matt Connolly from the state newspaper on Buckeye Talk. Matt is someone we've gotten to know uh, over the years as Ohio State and Clemson have played each other. And Matt, I feel bad. I, I want to make sure I have this right. It feels to me like you're the guy that like, uh, do you have to do 50 interviews with Ohio State media about Clemson? Like you are the guy that we all go to. At Ohio State, there's like 15 different sites. You're the man. We, we bug you like crazy for Clemson info. So I guess um, I covered the 2013 game and got to know some of the guys then at the Orange Bowl. And then, yeah, a couple years ago, or I guess what, however long ago. Um, 16. Years ago, yeah, 16. I was at that game and then last year as well. So, yeah, I've gotten to know a lot of the Ohio State people. Awesome, awesome beat. ton of fun to uh, talk with you guys, hang out, and, and uh, grab a drink occasionally or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like I know all of you guys pretty well. Well, we're glad to see you again, and we appreciate your help here on Buckeye Talk. So the thing that I think is, is, is most interesting for both fan bases here, Matt, is the idea of, you know, there's, some, there's familiarity here. So everybody right. remembers. I mean, it's not that long ago. What happened? So then it's like, okay, well, you think you know the opponent, but do you know the opponent or not? So I'm very curious about, like, where Clemson is better, where they're not quite as good, where they're kind of the same. So let's start with the obvious part of this here. Trevor Lawrence – it's more than stats. It's more than, you know, how many touchdown passes do you have compared to Kyle Trask or whatever, that kind of thing. A year ago from the outside, when we were at the Fiesta Bowl, 
all of us Ohio State guys from the outside, it was all about Trevor. You didn't have a great start to the season, but you've kind of come around. And he was sort of like, yeah, everybody was kind of on my butt, you know, for the first couple of weeks. And I actually didn't think I was playing that bad, but people said I was playing bad. I, it doesn't feel like that's been the issue here this year. What's he been like now as a junior compared to his sophomore season? Yeah, I think he's just been more consistent. He's been more accurate throughout the year. Um, like you mentioned, he had some early season struggles early on last year. And he even admitted at times like, yeah, I'm not playing very well. I'm taking too many chances. I'm trying to force balls. And so there hasn't really been that this year. Um, he's done a, a much better job of uh, taking what the defense gives him, not turning the ball over. Um, you know, he's still connecting on deep shots. He, he's found two receivers that he really likes in uh, Mari Rogers and Cornell Powell. And then EJ Williams is a freshman who's come on here late in the year. So he feels good about the weapons, even with uh, with T. Higgins gone and Justin Ross being out all year. And I think he's just playing really well. He's been more accurate, better deep ball. Just all around been a better quarterback, um, in my opinion. How ha is it – does he – care that much about the Heisman? How much do you guys talk about the Heisman with him? I mean, the Mac Jones and Kyle Trask numbers are so bonkers. Yeah. He can't compete straight up statistically, but on the other hand, he's Trevor Lawrence. How much has that been a topic with you guys? Yes. I mean, I think he cares about, um, you know, the Heisman. I mean, I, I, he's been pretty honest. He's honestly been pretty good about that. His whole career is, you know, not the typical quarterback speak or coach speak or whatever you want to say. He'll, he really does a pretty good job of, of telling you how he feels. And he said, you know, this is an award um, that he's followed his, his since he was a little kid. He, he's thought about it, how cool it would be. Um, he said, you know, there's no doubt he wants to win a national championship over Heisman. And, and I think that uh, that a lot of people say that and, and probably mean it. Uh, but at the same time, he's also been willing to admit that it would be really special if he, he could win and mean a lot to the program, to him. I mean, Clemson still doesn't have a Heisman winner as much success as they've had. And, and that's kind of something that uh, South Carolina fans, like the one thing, the one thing South Carolina fans are kind of holding on to is they have a Heisman winner and Clemson doesn't. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it would mean a lot to, to him and to the program for sure. I know that you probably get, this is like the typical outsider question here. Can you just give some context to sort of Deshaun Watson's place in Clemson history and Trevor Lawrence's place in Clemson history. I mean, these guys are two defining quarterbacks, two defining college players of the last decade. I don't know. Is there, do people compare them? Do they just love them equally? Do they think they're equally as good? What's, what's it like when a program has two guys roll through like that very short period of time? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think, I th you know, Clemson fans definitely love both of them. Um, I think, the fact that Deshaun won the first one and gave the the program its first national title since '81 and, and did so much and was kind of the first guy in that in that line. Um, now DJ Uyunglele's been added to it as well as just you know really good, highly recruited quarterbacks who come to Clemson um, and, and really uh, perform and, and even outperform what their expectations are. So, I mean, I think that's a hard question to uh, answer as far as which one. They like like better, think more over that kind of stuff. I mean, I think they're they're really similar. Uh, they've played really well in big games. You know, you look at what Deshaun did against Alabama uh, and the two times he played them, just incredible Alabama defenses back when those defenses were were not giving up forty nine or whatever it was they gave to Florida Saturday. Uh, but but when they were really uh, peaking and, and playing well defensively, he really just took it to them. Um, and so, you know, I think 
Deshaun definitely is thought very high of, but as far as just pure quarterback and, and playing, um, I think Trevor's right there, if not a little bit above, and, and could definitely be above, I think, if he wins a second national title. May I think from an Ohio State perspective, maybe we were a little surprised last year. Maybe we shouldn't have been because I think the stats were there about Trevor Lawrence's running ability and the way he gashed yeah. Ohio State on some big runs. He did it again against Notre Dame. That is that just that's just part of who he is now. That just he'll kill you with his legs if he needs to. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I was a little surprised um, last year when he took off and, and had the long run and uh, juked to safety and all that kind of stuff. That even caught me a little bit off guard. To be fair, so yeah, I mean I think he's just. He's a he's a different kind of runner. Like he's not he's not Lamar Jackson or obviously or anything like that. Um, he's I think he picks his spot. He's good with his own read. He's good about putting his head down and, and getting some extra yards. He's got uh, some moves that he can put on you from time to time. But he's really just good about reading defenses, knowing when to keep it, knowing when to give, and then taking what's there um, and going and getting 10, 12 yards. He's not a guy that's gonna do do what he did against Ohio State very often. And, run for a 60 yard touchdown or whatever, but he he's really good at reading defenses and taking what's there and, and getting the yards when he needs to. All right. You brought up the receivers previously again, from the outside, you see, okay, well, T Higgins is in the NFL. He's playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. Justin Ross is out for the year. We know Amari Rogers was a good player last year, but it felt like, okay, well, Clemson must, must not be as good this year at receiver as they were last year but you just said Trevor found two guys he likes to throw to. How would you compare the Clemson receiver play this year to last year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the typical guys you think of with wide receiver, you type guys who are, um, you know, six, three, six, four, six, five, uh, that are, that are just athletic freaks and going out and making these crazy catches all over the place. Um, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell are two seniors that are, you know, played in a lot of games, playing a lot of big games, but, have never really been counted on to be the go-to guys until this year, and they really stepped up. Amari's uh, you know, got almost a thousand yards already. Cornell's been really, really good the second half of the year. Uh, he had three straight hundred-yard games. Um, he, he had back-to-back 150-yard games. So he's he's really come on the second half of the year and stepped up. Um, you know, they're smaller guys, quicker guys. Uh, they they do take the top off of defense. I mean, they can really run and get behind the defense, and and definitely sure-handed guys. So. You know, they, they, it's those two, though, and then there's a big gap after that. Uh, and Dabo's brought it up a few times lately. The guys they thought were going to be their top receivers this year were Justin Ross, Joseph Ngata, and, and Frank Ladson and with, with Amari um, starting as well. And then uh, Cornell Powell kind of being a guy that they moved around some and could do a little bit of everything. And so haven't had Ngata for much of the year. Um, Ladson's been banged up a lot of this year, and then Justin Ross hadn't played at all. So – it's been it's been a weird year in that regard, but you know they they focus on those two guys, and, and after that, uh, Travis Etienne's third on the team in catches to give you an idea of kind of the difference between the top two guys and, and the the number three guy right now. So not quite at the uh, Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams nightmare level that Ohio State fans <laughs> have been familiar with in the past. No, not not quite not quite at that. Just just in very different type of receivers too. I mean, like I said, they're not not necessarily burners, not guys that are going to go up and make these great spectacular catches, you know, high point the ball, six three, six four guys, but still really good and productive receivers for sure. All right, so the nightmare is Travis Etienne, right? I mean, that guy, that, that's, again, you're trying to, I'm just so interested in last year to this year, J.K. Dobbins last year, he's the Ohio State running back you got to worry about. He's gone. Travis Etienne, he's a Clemson running back you got to worry about. He's back, which, by the way, Again, the idea that he's back, he, he didn't have to be back. 
how do they use him? His his rushing and receiving stats combined are amazing. How dangerous has he been this year? So he's back um, for the five offensive linemen he was running behind last year and not. And so that's been an area of concern for Clemson all year, just trying to get the running game going. And it hasn't been great. Um, you know, he's averaging 5.6, I think, yards a carry, some, somewhere a little less than six, whereas he was a guy averaging eight, eight or so yards per carry for a lot of his career. Um, you know, he, he's still – He's still the same running back as far as he can break a long one at, at any time and got the speed, obviously, and, and can go the distance. But the holes haven't been there as consistently this year. And he's had to fight at times just to get back to the line of scrimmage or to gain a couple yards. So you know, Clemson ran the ball well against Notre Dame. He, he had his first 100-yard game since, I think, October 10th against Miami. I mean, it had, it had been a while um, since he had really gotten loose. But he did that against Miami – or, I'm sorry, against Notre Dame. Uh, this past weekend, it really looked good. You, you mentioned the receiving game. I mean, that's where he's really, uh, you know, come on and, and been a bigger part of the offense this year. Like I mentioned, he's third on the team in receptions. Um, they're swinging it to him out of the backfield. They're they're lining him up at wide out sometimes and just throwing him a deep route. If, if You know, sometimes you put a running back out there, and I think they just throw a linebacker out there and think he's not going to do much at receiver. But they've thrown him a couple go routes this year. So he's really, um, you know, taking his game to another level as a receiver become that threat and, and done a nice job um, in that area. So, yeah, I mean, the, the goal for them is to just give him the ball in space and they found different ways to do that this year. So again, remembering the storyline last year was all these veterans on the Clemson offensive line. And then Jackson Carmen as the young guy, the guy from Ohio, that big recruiting battle. So now this year is Jackson Carmen is the experienced guy and everybody yep. else was new. And I'm assuming then from what you're saying, just, you know, you have four new offensive linemen. You're not quite as good probably as you were the year before. Yeah, and I think – honestly, I think Jackson's taken a step back as well. Um, with some of the advanced stats, he hasn't been as good as far as allowing pressure and, and um, some of that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's, he's still had a good year. And I think overall the line's probably been better than it's given credit for. Um, I think at times, you know, every, every team went into the year saying we've got to stop Travis Etienne, especially with Justin Ross out and, and T. Higgins gone. You know, he, he's been the focus for – every defense all year. Um, so, you know, it, it hasn't been as good, the running game and, and the offensive line in general, but I think some of that is just the way defenses are playing Clemson as well. But yeah, Jackson's the only starter back from that group. Has, has Trevor Lawrence found himself in situations that is he having to make throws into tighter windows or into tougher coverage because teams aren't maybe as worried about the run game anymore? Has that really changed the world a lot for Trevor Lawrence? Is he, does he still have open guys to hit? He still had a, a decent amount of open guys. Um, I think Clemson does a really good with this route, good job with this routes and its RPOs. And, and so they run a lot of RPOs. And so if, if the running game's there, he's going to hand it off. And if the numbers say to throw it, he's going to throw it. And, and usually their receivers are going to be open um, with, with the guys that they played so far this year. So you know, I, I wouldn't say um, he's had to throw into a, a ton of tighter uh, windows or anything like that. I think it's probably been about how it was last year, uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've done a good job. You know, he, he's – I do think he's been more accurate overall. Uh, just the deep shots are connecting more. The underneath stuff, it, it's hitting. Um, EJ Williams is a freshman, like I, I think I mentioned a couple times, that he had an incredible one-handed catch against Notre Dame. If you watched um, any of that game where he kind of leaped and made the o o Odell Beckham uh, type of grab. So he's a guy that they're really excited about, that they feel like it can be that number three guy for them in the playoff and, and certainly a guy to watch. All right, let's hit the defensive side of the ball. It felt like a year ago, defensive line, which has been such a dominant strength for Clemson so often, 
I guess, was it the 16 game or when was, was that like the year that like, it felt like everybody on Clemson's defensive line was about to go be a first round pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. And then last yeah. year it was young, right? Last year it was a younger defensive line. So is everybody back there? And is that a place where, where Clemson's better than a year ago? So Clemson's better than it was a year ago, but not everyone's back. So Justin Foster um, has been out in protocol. Um, is, is what they've said the entire year. Um, and so, you know, Dabo hasn't really gone into too much detail with what's going on there, but he, he hasn't played all year. He was a starter for them last year and, and expected to be one of their top players on defense this year. He hasn't played at all. Xavier Thomas um, had COVID this summer and, and strep throat, and I think it was pretty well documented. He hasn't played um, at, at, at least the start of the year. He came back. He's actually played pretty well when he's been in there, but then this past week against Notre Dame, he didn't play, and, and we didn't really get an explanation as to why. Um, I, I, he wasn't – he didn't have COVID. I don't think he was injured or anything like that. And so not not really sure what's going on there. Not sure if he'll be back against Ohio State um, or not. But you know, those are supposed to be their top two defensive ends. And then another guy, uh, Logan Rudolph, who started last year, um, at least in the playoff, I think. I, I know he did in the national championship game. He gave a fo- football to pursue an acting career. So those were their top three defensive ends from last year and the top three they were counting on. Uh, but they've had some freshman guys come in and step up. Brian Brzee, a defensive tackle, is a really, really good player. Um, he was a number one overall recruit in the country last year. Miles Murphy is an end, who is another five-star guy who who had a great year. He was named newcomer um, of the year in the ACC uh, by, by AP today. So they do have some, some young guys up front um, that are playing well and then some veterans mixed in as well who, who aren't necessarily game record types, but are solid, solid players. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a different, different names and, and numbers than we expected to see in there, but they've, they've been really good overall. So is that guy doing like comedy drama, like action movies? What's he thinking there? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've, uh, I, I reached out to him um, early on the season and, he said he wanted to, to keep the attention on the guys, so I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I need to mention Tyler Davis as well. He's a he's a guy that was all American potential going into this year, who's been banged up, but was back against Notre Dame and, and played really well um, in the ACC championship game. So with him healthy now, he, he's a guy for sure. He's probably their best overall defensive lineman. So very very sounds like very good defensive line. Not the level of when it was Dexter Lawrence and all those guys tearing it up right. at their best, but a pretty darn good defensive line then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's not Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, and Cleveland Farrell, and Austin Bryant, who are all playing in the NFL right now and, and three first-round picks. But, yeah, a, a good a good group and some guys that will probably end up being first-round picks down the road. Okay, so linebacker. Who was the guy that everybody – wasn't there a senior linebacker last year that everybody loved? Skalkowski or something? What was Skalski. That yeah. Is he, yeah, is he, he gone or is he still there? He, he's back, yeah. Oh, he's, he's back. Oh, sorry. Okay. He's still good, right? Everybody loves him. They do, yeah. So it's funny. He's actually played in five ACC championship games. Um, so, wow. And he could play in a six. Um, but yeah, so he played. He redshirted. Uh, I think his redshirt junior year. He was kind of battling some injuries, and they decided they were going to play him only four games that year. And so he he kind of picked his games he wanted to play in, and, and some of them were the playoffs. And so he came in as like their number, probably their fourth linebacker, the, just the first guy off the bench. And, played um a decent amount that year so yeah he's back like he, he was live the other day post game about how he's played in five acc championship games um and he could play in a six because you know everyone's getting this year back um but we'll see but yeah he's back i mean he's just your typical kind of 
hard-nosed, old-school football player, um, really good against a run, good at, good at blitzing, good after the quarterback. I think teams try to match him up and get him in space, um, some on running backs and, and tight ends, um, although he's not covering them them much with his assignments. But, yeah, he's a, he's a really good run stopper, really good tackler, and, and for sure the heart and soul and leader of that defense. Um, he missed several games earlier this year, and the defense wasn't the same without him, including the Notre Dame game. So, yeah, he's, he's certainly one to watch out for at linebacker. And who are other pretty good at linebacker across the board or, or not as much? Yeah, Balen Spectres, um, their, their outside linebacker, who's done a nice job this year. Um, it's, it's his first year starting, and he's really played well. Uh, he's, he's pretty athletic and, and done a nice job uh, filling in there. And then Mike Jones is a Sam Nickel, and, and he, uh, he plays – he doesn't play every down. He's kind of like trying to play the Isaiah Simmons role, Simmons role in some ways, but he's not an every down player. Um, so he's playing that same position, but they're subbing in a guy, a freshman, Malcolm Green, more in passing situations lately. And, and Malcolm played most of the second half against Notre Dame and did a really good job. So he's a freshman They're They're excited to, uh, to see. And I think you'll probably see him a good bid against Ohio State. So, I mean, thinking about Isaiah Simmons, in this game a year ago, you just had two defensive players, Chase Young for Ohio State and Isaiah Simmons for Clemson, who were just like, what are those guys? Those are just right. incredible, rare players. And Ohio State has good players, but they don't have a guy like Chase Young. What's it like for this Clemson defense? I mean, Isaiah Simmons, again, he played like every position there was. He was such a unique talent. We saw, We all remember the play he made the pick off Justin Fields where it's like nobody else, probably a guy that size with that kind of instinct and skill is going to make that interception. Right. What's it been like for this defense without him? Like, do, does it feel like when you watch him, you have, you noticeably missed like, Hey, they don't have Isaiah Simmons or is it like, no, they're fine. They're fine. He was really good, but they're fine. Yeah. I mean, at, at times they have, um, you know, the, the Notre Dame game was the only game that they really struggled defensively. And that game was just so weird because Tyler Davis, Skowski, um, and Mike Jones were all out, and, and those are three starters up front. And so Notre Dame established the run early, and then it started opening up things in the back. And so that's the only game, really game where they've struggled defensively. Overall, they've done a really nice job. Um, so I don't think they've mentioned them a ton. I mean, there's some things Isaiah covered up, um, mistakes you can make on the back end where, where he could still get there and make plays that other guys can't. But I don't I don't think they've mentioned missed him a ton. The secondary has been really good. They've had some really good young corners who have stepped up. Um, and so – you know, I think that that's definitely helped. Um, and, and Venables has just done a, a really good job playing to his personnel like he seems to do every year. So in the second AG, secondary, A.J. Terrell, first-round pick off last year's team, really good corner that Ohio State faced. This is the strength of Ohio State's team. I mean, if, if Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson aren't doing their thing, it gets a little more difficult for Ohio State. It's where they're special. Chris Olave did not play in the Big Ten Championship game. Everybody's expecting that he will play in this playoff game. How good's the secondary? Can they handle a team that that's where Ohio State is at its best? Can they handle a really good passing attack? Yeah, so the corners are really good. Um, Darian Kendrick, Sheridan Jones, Andrew Booth. I voted all three of those guys um, in my two deep on the all ACC ballot. I mean, they they rotate them a good bit, and they're all um, really really good corners. I think I think DK Darian Kendrick will probably be a first or second round pick probably this year. Um, he's been first round mock draft and in, in several lately. Um, so he's a really good cornerback. He's a former receiver who, who made the switch to defense and has taken off. And then Sheridan Jones and Andrew Booth are just a couple of young guys that have, have been really good. All their advanced stats as far as 
completions allowed and all that stuff have been great. Um, I think the safeties, um, Nolan Turner is a really good player, and, and he made the uh, interception last year against Ohio State. But he'll be out for the first half um, of this game after getting a targeting call against Notre Dame. So I think Ohio State can win some matchups there. And a couple young safeties uh, that will be starting the game, I, I think that uh, that will probably be the area where, where Ohio State will look to attack. But, um, yeah, corner-wise, Clemson's, Clemson's really good there. So I've given up over the years trying to figure out, oh, no, this is the up year for Ohio State. The next year will be a little bit of a step back. Because as soon as you think you know something, then, you know, Ohio State was a really young team in 2016, and they made the playoffs. It's like, all right, well, they just, they're just they all they're good all the time. There's like three teams that are probably like that. Clemson obviously is like that. It's like, oh, can Clemson win the national title this year? It's like they're Clemson. They can win the national title every year. I mean, of course they can. But Dabo kind of said that. I thought uh, it, it was funny. He kind of mentioned yesterday um, or Sunday that yeah, there's like a, there's like seven teams every year that it doesn't matter. You just know they're going to be in the mix. So yeah, I mean, like I I don't know. I mean, like Clemson has great coaches. They have great talent. The recruiting is even better than it was a couple of years ago, and they always have a quarterback. Which, by the way, if you don't have that anymore, but it's like oh, you got Trevor lined up behind Deshaun. You got DJ lined up behind Trevor. Like you're good to go. But did as you sit and think about this team, I was double-checking our picks at Cleveland.com last year. We all picked Ohio State to beat Clemson. It was a very tight game. I think it, you certainly – that was, I think, a well-matched game in a lot of ways. How do you compare overall this Clemson team to that Clemson team? And I will say I think it's pretty clear that this Ohio State team is not as good as last year's Ohio State team, 1 through 22. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's really close. Justin and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are really good. But the team last year was better. What about Clemson? Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because I've heard that. You may, I know we talked uh, at the start. Of, I've talked to a few Ohio State guys, and, yeah, they pretty much all mentioned that they, that they don't feel like this team is as good. Um, and I, I think this Clemson team probably overall is, is close to the same, probably not as good talent-wise. Um, you know, you, you don't – you're missing four offensive linemen from last year. You don't have the studs at receiver. Um, but you still have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, who are, who are obviously elite. Um, and then, you know, for, or defensively, you don't have the guy, the the freaking Isaiah Simmons, who who can make so much um, happen and make up for up for so much. So, I think overall, this team's maybe a little step down. Um, with that said, you know, I still think that they have a really good shot to to win the national title. Um, and, and you know, I think that uh, that overall, they're still right there as far as with Alabama and, you know, one, two, or however you want to look at it. I think they're still um, pretty, pretty darn elite, but I don't think it's quite as good as last year's team. Also just, you know, I also just don't think that there's a, an LSU out there this year. Um, I mean, I mean, I picked LSU to win the title last year. Just, I thought that offense was insane. So I think that Alabama is not, not at that level this year. So it's kind of my thoughts on where things are going into the playoff. Yeah. It's funny. A year ago, it's like, Oh, Joe Burrow is awesome. And Joe Burrow maybe had the, best season ever for a college quarterback. And they also had 13 other guys who got picked in the NFL draft out of that. So it's like and those receivers like Justin Jefferson now and chase set out this year, but Jefferson's just crushing in the NFL. And, and he was your number two guy last year. So, right. Yeah. So, that was, that was nuts. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. We we've had been asking people here, our, our listeners about sort of the perception of, is it that Alabama and Clemson are in a top tier together and then Ohio State's behind them? Is it Alabama's in the top tier and then Clemson and Ohio State together? Like we're trying to figure it out. 
I think yeah. most people here don't think Ohio State is at the Clemson and Alabama level. We're debating whether is Alabama ahead of Clemson though, and then Clemson's a little bit below it. But it sounds like you you would think from your perspective that Alabama and Clemson are that's that's pretty much right there. That's kind of almost like a 50-50. I do. I mean, without uh with with uh Devontae Smith and, and Mac Jones, I think are two of the two of the best players in the country. Uh but you know, I think I think uh, Venables would be able to to figure out something to slow down Smith and and at least not let one guy beat him. Just he's so smart at, at that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, I feel like on that side of the ball, um, I think it would be somewhat difficult for Najee Harris to get going. Clemson's been pretty good against the run, other than at least when they've been healthy, they have. And then I think uh, after seeing what Kyle Trask and Florida did um, to the Alabama defense, I think Clemson would be able to score enough to, to probably be right there and, and it'd be a really good game. So, you know, we'll see who knows, but, but that's kind of my thought process at this point. And then if you're talking to Ohio state people, you know, this it's like Clemson. I mean, Clemson drives Ohio state fans nuts. <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, beyond there. I didn't realize I, how bad it was until I did an, another podcast today. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's the Dabo stoking the fires is, is adding to it, <laughs> but it's, it's fed by the initial fuel is zero and four. And yeah. the initial fuel is Ohio State feeling like they should have won last year and they didn't. So we know what – and the, the, the other fuel is that nobody – I mean, Michigan can't compete at all. So it's like, honestly, who's Ohio State's biggest rival right now? In Ohio State's mind, it's Clemson. Yeah. They haven't beaten them, but so it's hard to be a rivalry when you've never beaten somebody, but it's Clemson. What does Clemson think of Ohio State? Does Clemson care about Ohio State? Does Clemson, like, think, hey, we beat you guys last year, I'm going to beat you again? Or is Clemson just like – Man, we're trying to win the national title. We don't care who we play. So it's funny. Um, so I think Clemson fans really like getting under the skin of Ohio State fans. Um, like, I think that – I don't know. I, I think that Ohio State such a big program and has such a huge fan base and everything that, that they just like trying to push their buttons. And I'm sure Ohio State fans like pushing buttons back with Clemson and calling Dabo names and all this kind of stuff. So I, I, I don't know. It's a fun rivalry. Like, I, I love – I love this matchup. I love it when these two teams play. I'm always rooting for it. Um, as far as the team, like, I think – I don't know. It's interesting. I think for Clemson, its mindset all year has been, like, we got to get back to the national title and win, and, and you know, we don't care who we play. Whereas Ohio State and some some uh, mindset is maybe, like, you know, we, we want to beat Clemson. We want another shot at Clemson. We should have beat them last year. So, I think Clemson. I think Clemson likes playing Ohio State. I think Clemson fans like playing Ohio State and like um, kind of the back and forth and trash talk and all that kind of stuff. But I think Clemson's team is really just focused on trying to win a national title and, and not really worried about who it has to go through. And last one, Matt, and then we'll let you get back to the other nine Ohio podcasts that you have to do this <laughs> week. Um, is it just forever? Like, what's ever? Is it this? Is this just what Clemson is now? I mean, they've got the next quarterback lined up again. I mean, they've just, they have a defensive reputation. Like what is this? This is just Clemson. Is this what we expect? If as long as like Clemson's just going to be in the national title picture for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as long as Brent Venables and, and Tony Elliott are there, um, that this is probably what it's going to look like. They, they're recruiting so well right now, um, which Ohio State is as well. I mean, I don't think Ohio State's going anywhere either. I think both of these programs are going to be, top five for a long, long time, um, as long as Ryan Day's there and as long as Dabo's there and they keep recruiting the way they are. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned DJ um, at quarterback. Uh, they've got several uh, receivers coming in that are really good. They've got the number one all-purpose running back, Will Shipley, 
coming in next year. Um, they've got a lot of talent behind these guys right now. So, yeah, I mean, there were times, you know, when Deshaun left, um, I thought Clemson was going to take a step back. And I thought – I think a lot of people did. Even going back to when Chad Morris left, people thought that was going to be the end of Clemson and they were going to be in trouble. And they just seemed to keep reloading and, and recruiting and bringing in new talent. So, yeah, I think this is probably – how it's going to be for a while and, and maybe we'll be doing these again next year or for the next, for the next three years or for however long. We'll get the governor. We'll get Mike DeWine to send you a check on behalf of the state <laughs> of Ohio, because you're the only person that provides information about Clemson to everybody up here. I, I think I'm going to write about this this week. Talk about that 2013 game when Ohio state and Clemson played in the orange bowl. I just remember thinking like, Oh, cool. Like Clemson, they're yeah, uh, new and cool. This is cute. Yeah. Like, it was the whole, I did a whole story about the $2 bills and all the yeah. stuff. Like just like all this cool, like a cool new team. I remember being like, oh man, these, both these teams, Tom Herman and Chad Morris, they're like million dollar coordinators. That's crazy. Like, Hey, right. look at this crazy matchup. And then it's like, you got a little puppy and then you just like kept feeding the puppy steak. And now the puppy is like a, <laughs> it's like a monster, man. Right. That's there's nothing cute about Clemson at all anymore. It's just funny because so much of college football is, well, who's good? Bama forever. Ohio state forever. Oklahoma forever. Right. I mean, it's the same people that Clemson is like the new power and now they have staying power as the new power, but it's funny to think that when Clemson wasn't Clemson and almost beating, is it, I mean, Dabo was already starting to do some stuff. But was that a big deal? I mean, like that they beat Ohio State in that Orange Bowl. Where does that fit on the uh, on the ascension of Clemson? Is that is that at least a, a milepost along the way somewhere? For sure, yeah. I mean that that you know I think that whole stretch where they were beating teams the previous year. I think I think it was the previous year they beat LSU um, in Atlanta in the, in the Chick Fil A Bowl, and so that was like a and that was before it was a New Year's Six Bowl, but that was still a a big deal beating the SEC team. Um, and so you know before that that was right after they lost five in a row to South Carolina or right around that stretch. And so that was the thing is like, you can't even beat, you know, the the second or third best team in the SEC, which South Carolina was at the time. Um, you know, you, you, you don't belong with this big stage. Well, then they beat LSU. Well, then they go out and beat Ohio state the next year in, in what was a crazy game, um, a, a fun game. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely a part of like, just keep building the brand, keep building the notoriety and the attention and, and gaining confidence as a program to when you go into these games. But yeah, it's funny. I, mean, I, I still laugh about um, a few years ago when Dabo was talking about, oh, you know, um, reading, reading Urban Meyer's book, man, this is great stuff. I'm, I'm learning so much from Urban. Um, he's like saying that the week of the game. And, and I don't know. I, that's, it's just funny. I, I don't know. I, I love the matchup. I think they love uh, there's, there's something about trying to get under skin a little bit and stuff. And then, he was talking about reading Urban's book and trying to learn how to coach and stuff and then shut him out or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's interesting. Like it's, I, I love, I mean, Dabo's a villain to Ohio state fans and God, how is how fun is it to have a villain? You know, oh, I awesome. mean, I mean, it's, it's the best, it's the best. So um, it is a fun rivalry, Matt. Again, the, the, the very least, if you're listening, the very least you can do is go, read the guy's stories, follow the guy on Twitter. He is the official Clemson beat writer of the state of Ohio. Matt, how can people follow your work? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm at Matt at the state um, on Twitter, the state.com. We'll have lots of, lots of coverage, obviously leading up. Um, I know we talked about rent Venable Some, I did a piece earlier this year on what it's like to go against his defenses and talk to some former quarterbacks and stuff about that. So that's, that's my pin tweet. That might be a cool piece. If you're just wondering um, about, 
about that side of it. So yeah, just check check out my work and uh, appreciate everyone following along and listening. All right, Matt Connolly, great stuff. Um, I'll just we we're just talking. You've got some young kids. I feel like. I'm going to be talking to you on a podcast and like your kids are going to be graduating from college and it's just going to be like, okay, <laughs> it's Ohio state Clemson part 12, Matt Connolly is back. So um, thanks for taking time out of your day and uh, we'll look forward to uh, another good one here. Sounds good. Yeah. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. All right, people. Thanks to Matt. I'm not going to thank Steven and Nathan. What I think if, what they, I don't, it's not thank, I don't thank their job. I'm not going to thank them. What do I say? They're not here, and I'm, I'm by myself in my room. All right, there, Stephen and Nathan. I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.